Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Well, first of all, how soon they forget. We've been friends for 34 years, to make it accurate. And it doesn't surprise me. In fact, uh, being here today, and I, I'm, uh, I thought we were friends. I can't believe you would bring me here after David Platt would speak yesterday. David's one of the, as you know, one of the great, one of a dear friends and a bulldog buddy of ours, but one of the great, great preachers. Uh, and uh, so I didn't realize that until I walked in. But uh, just being here just reminds me of a story of a soldier who was in Afghanistan. And um, he had a girlfriend that uh, he had gotten engaged to before he left. Well, he got this Dear John letter. And she told him she'd met someone else. And she decided that she was going to marry this guy. And so to add insult to injury, she wrote in the letter, Would you please send me back my favorite picture of myself? Because I want to include that in the county newspapers I announced my engagement. Well, he was hot. I mean, you can imagine he was just mad as he could be. Well, some of his buddies found out about what happened. So they went throughout the whole platoon and they got all their friends to give pictures of all of their girlfriends that they had had through the years. And they brought them back and they put them in a box and he mailed the box back to this girl and said, here is the picture I think that you requested. Please forgive me. I've had so many girlfriends, I don't remember which one you were, so you pick out your picture and send the rest of them back to me. So I'm just grateful that Dr. Aiken remembers to, uh, to let me come and to be a part uh, of this chapel today. Well, uh, when I told Dr. Aiken what I was going to speak about today, so well, that's pretty good because I don't remember anybody ever preaching about that, so that really helps me out. But if you brought a copy of God's Word, or you, I know, your iPhone, iPad, what do you look at? I want you to turn to the book of Exodus chapter 14. And while you're turning, uh, there's an old saying you've heard. They say a picture's worth a thousand words. Well, there are certain photographs taken throughout history that are so iconic and, and they were so eventful. They, they actually put places and people on the map and made them famous. And I'm just going to put a few of these up on the screen. For example, if you're a boxing fan at all, you, you will know the picture that I'm about to put up here. It is a picture of Muhammad Ali. And he is standing over Sonny Liston, and he just defeated him for the world championship. You're a boxing fan. You know that one. Now, if you know anything about American history, you'll know about the next picture. This is a picture of an island that you and I would have never heard of if that picture had not made it to the front page of every newspaper in America. That island is called Iwo Jima. And because of that one picture, just say those words, and you not only know about the island, but if you don't think about history, you know the story of the battle. And then the next picture is one that's a 21st century picture. That's uh, Michael Jordan. Matter of fact, that may be the most famous silhouette ever photographed. Now, we know who that is. That image is on everything, shoes, clothing, sweatshirts, bedroom walls, everywhere around the world. And by the way, that brand last year, just the brand, made $4.7 billion. And then here's another one that some of you may recognize. This is a picture that made a commercial pilot famous. His name was Sully Sullenberger. And he actually landed this airplane on the Hudson River. Not one person died. There was even a movie made about it. 
And then for those of us who remember 9-11, you'll remember this picture. This was a picture of President Obama and his staff watching the raid on the home of Osama bin Laden when he was forever taken out, and that will forever be etched in our memory. So pictures really are worth a thousand words. So I just want you to imagine that 3,500 years ago, there were cameras. And if there were, there would be a picture today that would have put an ancient Hebrew prophet on the map. His name was Moses. And we can't say for sure, but it might have looked something like this. Now, most of you won't recognize that picture, but if you do, you'll kind of show your age because in that picture is not Moses. It's actually an actor named Charlton Heston who was playing Moses. But it is such an iconic picture. And every time I see that movie, I think in my mind, if there was a picture of the Exodus back in that day, that is exactly what it would look like because it was a very important event. It not only put Moses on a map, it put Moses in a movie. And the crossing of the Red Sea is mentioned more times in the Old Testament than the Passover. It's found in four other books in the Old Testament. Forty years later, this is how, how eventful it was. Forty years later, when the Israelites were preparing to enter the Promised Land, there were two Hebrew spies, if you remember Joshua and Caleb, and they were reconnoitering, they were doing a, a, a reconnoitering of, of the land, and they met this prostitute in Jericho. Her, her name, was, as you know, was, was Rahab. And as they met her, she said, oh, yes. And here she says, this is what she said to them. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Forty years after the event had happened, this event was talked about. It was on Twitter. It was on Instagram. It was on TikTok. It was on Facebook. I mean, it was all over. Everybody knew about the Exodus. Now, say all that to say this. Many of you will be going into ministry. But whether you go into ministry or not, you will be going into life. And when you do, I want to share something with you. You all are going to face at times in your life what I call Red Sea moments. There are going to be times in your life when the only thing before you is a sea that you can't get through and an army that you cannot defeat. And when I talk about Red Sea moments, I don't mean you'll be parting the waters of your neighborhood swimming pool. What I do mean is you're going to be encountering situations when it looks like there's no way out, there's no way up, everything looks like it's going to fail, it looks like you're going to be defeated. Now, we've got, we've got phrases we use for things like that today. For example, we'll say, man, I'm up the creek without a paddle, or I'm between a rock and a hard place, or, or one of my favorites, my back is against the wall. By the way, we get that phrase, back against the wall, we get that phrase from placing people against the wall when they're facing a fire, firing squad and they're not going to make it to Disney World. There is no way out. So as we, as we look at uh, in Exodus 14, it is the most celebrated event in Jewish history. And what may surprise you uh, about all of this is you may think you know how it all went down because as I told you, two mo movies were made concerning this event. Two words are all you need to know. If I said to you, I'm talking about the Exodus, everybody would know, oh yeah, I know that story. Well, maybe you don't know the whole story. Oh, you know the ending. I know you know that. I know how it ends. God parts the Red Sea. The children of Israel pass through. God closes the waters. 
The Egyptian army drowns and everybody lives happily ever after. We all know the story. But the reason why the Old Testament ought to come alive and the reason why, unlike one big communicator said years ago, we ought to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, you really can't because the Old Testament in so many ways is just as relevant to where we are today as the new. But the question does remain, what in the world does this story have to do with me? It's a great story. And by the way, if you haven't seen the movie, it's a classic. Go back and see the movie. It's fantastic. But when you read it, you still go, but man, I, look, I got a final exam next week. I'm pastoring a church and I don't even know if I'm going to make it. I, I don't even know if I've got enough money to pay my bills at the end of the month. What in the world does that story have to do with me? Because we all face Red Sea moments when we're boxed in. There seems to be no way out. And listen, some of you may be there right now. Maybe you've come to the end of the money before you've come to the end of the month. Maybe there's someone here today and you don't want anybody to know it, but you're struggling in your marriage and you're not sure it's going to make it. Or maybe you know someone and I know about five people I'm thinking about right now who have received a diagnosis of an illness and all hope for healing just boarded a flight out of town. Well, the same God that came through for Moses and the nation of Israel is alive and well and he wants to come through for you. So what I want to do today is hopefully share with you three things we're going to learn from this event that one day, you may not need it now, you may not need it tomorrow, but there will be a day, there will be a time, there will be a place in your life when you need to remember these three things because if you don't, that Monday morning will come, you'll quit your church. That Monday morning will come, you'll resign from the ministry. That Monday morning will come and you'll say, I can't do this anymore. So three things I want to share with you this morning. Number one, trust God wherever he leads. Trust God wherever he leads. Now, you got to ask the question a lot of people don't ask. Uh, Dr. Aiken, I've heard a lot of preachers preach on this, and it amazes me that they never ask this question. Because when you read this story, if you really think about it, here's Israel, here's the people of God, they're facing a sea by, in front of them, an army behind them, and nobody ever asked this question, wait a minute, how did they get into this mess to begin with? How did they get into this trap to begin with? Well, you don't have to look long to learn. Exodus 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Heroth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Israel felt like they were caught in a trap, and they were. Let me tell you about Baal-Zephon. Baal-Zephon was like a cul-de-sac. It was a geographical dead end. There were huge Egyptian fortresses to the north. You couldn't go there. There was the Egyptian desert to the south. You couldn't go there. Pharaoh's army was closing in from the west. You couldn't go there. Red Sea is to your east. You couldn't go there. They had no place to run, no place to hide. The Israelites had been living in slavery for 400 years. And by the way, culturally, they weren't even really Israelites yet. You need to remember, they were not Israelites. They were Egyptians. All they had known was Egypt. They had long ago forgotten God. They had long ago forgotten about all the miracles God had worked for their ancestors. But God hadn't forgotten them. And this moment was no accident because this is something I never hear preachers say about this passage. Verse 18. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. See, Israel learned something I want you to learn today. 
There are times that things are going to happen in your life and you're going to say, okay, that was a mistake or that was a miscalculation or I, I evidently made a wrong turn. No, you really didn't. It was just God's guidance and God's direction. Because after Israel left Egypt, they traveled down toward the Sinai Peninsula, and then they turned west right into this cul-de-sac. How did they get there? God led them. The U-turn appeared to be a lethal military blunder, but they weren't lost. They were being led. So I want you to remember this. Sometimes God leads us to a dead end to teach us to trust him for the way out. Sometimes God leads us to a dead end to trust him for the way out. Listen, if you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to listen to this. Dr. Aiken is in his sixth decade, and I just started my seventh decade. But I want to tell you something I've learned, and you will learn it well. You don't really learn much about your faith in God in the good times. You learn about your faith in God in the bad times. You learn a whole lot more in the bad times than you do in the good times. It's not the good times that teach you to trust God. It is the bad times. Look, when the wind's at your back, anybody can trust God. When the sun is shining, anybody can trust God. When you got more money in the bank than you know what to do with, anybody can trust God. But when the wind is in your face, when there is no more money, when you've got no way out, that's when God loves to work. A miracle. Let me give you an example in my own life. I went to Southern Seminary. It was not the Southern Seminary that it is today. Dr. Aiken was there in the good day. I wasn't there in the good day. When I went to Southern Seminary, it was one of the two most liberal, along with this one, it was one of the two most liberal seminaries anywhere in the world. I had professors at Southern Seminary who not only did not believe in much of the Bible, did not, by the way, believe anything, as we'll talk about in a moment, about this miracle of the Red Sea. I had professors who didn't believe in the resurrection. I had professors who didn't really believe much of what any, either the Old or the New Testament taught. My first day in Clown, never will forget this, my first day at Southern Seminary, I walk into my introduction to Old Testament. I won't even tell you the name of the professor. He's, he's gone now. But that first day, he got up and he spent an hour ripping the Old Testament. He didn't believe in Adam and Eve. He didn't believe in a flood. He didn't believe in the fall. He didn't believe in the Exodus. He didn't believe in the Passover. He didn't believe David killed the giant with a rock. He didn't believe anything. He ripped the Old Testament apart for a solid hour. I remember walking back to my apartment and, and Teresa was with my wife. She was working and she came in that afternoon and I was out, literally, I couldn't help it. I was just weeping. She came in. She, she said, what's wrong? I said, I made a mistake. So what do you mean? I said, I, I think I've come to the wrong place. I spent six years of my life, some of the most difficult and tough years. But looking back, I realized two things. Number one, I went there because that's where God led me to go. And one of the reasons why God led me to go there, he wanted me to go to a place where I had to realize and I had to understand, do you really believe what you say you believe or is it just talk? Is it a preference or is it a conviction? And if you believe what you say you believe, you better be ready to defend it. And I am more ready today to defend what I believe against liberalism and cynicism and I'm telling you things that lead to destruction. I'm more prepared today than I ever would have been because I had spent six years of my life where God honed me and God sharpened me. Because it's not important just to know what you believe. You better know why you believe it. And I had to defend my faith. And I realized as I look back on that time, there are times that God leads you to dead ends. He leads you to detours. So you may be sitting here right now and you, be, you might be saying, boy, I'm going to tell you something, Doc. 
my back's against the wall. Well, let me give you some good news. Just because your back is against the wall doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. It may very well mean you're absolutely in the will of God. So let me tell you something. This is something people miss about this story. You cannot cross the Red Sea until you come to the Red Sea. If they had not been led to the Red Sea, we would never know about that. There would have been no Exodus. We wouldn't even know about this story. So sometimes God is leading you to where you are so he can work a miracle in your life. So if you're here today in some way, somehow, you'd say, James, my back is against the wall. Trust God wherever he leads. Lesson number two, obey God whenever he speaks. Obey God whenever he speaks. Exodus chapter 14, verse 9. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Herharoth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. So here's the Israelites, backs against the wall. They're hearing the horses grow louder. They watch the spears and the shields gleaming in the sun. They can feel the heat of the rage of Pharaoh. They know he's about to, I mean, they know he's out for their blood. And they're looking at that Red Sea and they say, you know, this is a great name because it's about to be red with our blood. Now I want you to imagine, you're Moses. You're the leader. They're looking to you, two million people. You got a sea in front of you, soldiers behind you. What would you do? Can, can I be honest? I know what I would have done. I would have just said one word, run. That's what I'd have done. I would have known what else to do. I would have been looking for all the white flags I could find to raise and surrender and give up. Well, how does Moses respond? Watch this. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. I want you to stop a minute. You're an Israelite. You're looking at certain destruction. They're going to do to you and your children and your babies what was done in Israel a month ago. No mercy. And you're looking to your leader. What are you going to do, Moses? What great words of wisdom do you have to say? And he looks at you and here's all he says. Don't be afraid. I'll tell you, if I'm an Israelite, you know what I'm saying to Moses? You got to be kidding me. I mean, is that it? That's all you got? That's the best you can do? Don't be Afraid? Oh, Moses continues. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Now, I'm going to be very honest. I read that and if I were not a believer, you know what I'd say? I'd say, man, that's just positive thinking psychopop. What are you talking about? Be confident. Fear not. Don't run. Be calm. Stand firm. But emotionally, that was great advice. Because oftentimes the first thing God will do when you're in a Red Sea moment, you know what he'll do? You won't like it. You know what Moses does? Or you know what God does most of the time when you find yourself in a Red Sea moment? Here's what God says. Stand by. Don't be afraid. 
Don't panic. Because here's what we tend to do, and I'm guilty. We get in one of those Red Sea moments, you know what we do? We start pacing the floor, rubbing our hands together, get into a panic, break into a sweat, bite our fingernails, elevate our blood pressure, spend sleepless nights tossing and turning because we don't know what we are going to do. We have no solution to the problem. And all that time that we're doing that, here's what God is saying. Be still and know that I am God. Now, the Israelites really didn't have a choice. But here's the good news. I've learned this so many times. If you will do what only you can do, God will do what you can't do. If you will do what you can, God will do what you can't. So Moses reminds us that in our Red Sea moments, you've got to trust in the presence of the Lord. You've got to listen to the voice of the Lord and he will speak to you. He will show you what to do. And once he's done that, once you do all you know to do, you just then wait and watch what God decides to do. I left the church, Dr. Aiken knows this. I left the church 20 years ago. Church was running 3,300 people. I'd been there 18 years. The people loved me. I had it made in the shade. I could have coasted the rest of my life. I'm 50 years old. What am I going to do? And God puts this crazy idea to me to go plant a church, to go start a church. So I leave with a core of 200. I leave a church of 3,300 people with a core of about 200 people. And I go from a state-of-the-art worship center to a high school cafeteria. I don't even know what I'm doing. I never, I, I'm, whoever ever thought I would have planted a church. And I can't even begin, if I had time, I could take an hour or two and tell you of all the Red Sea moments that I faced before I did it and then when I did it and even after I did it. And there came a point that I'll never forget when I knew I've done everything God had told me to do and all I could do at that point is say, Lord, I've followed you. I'm going where you led me to go. I don't know what else to do. Now all I can do is watch what you would do. And guess what? God came through because God used two men to take 400,000 square feet of buildings and 72 acres of land and buy it out of their own pocket and give it to us. I could have never pulled that off. God did it. So Moses does all he can do and he waits. Troops are fast approaching. Pharaoh thinks he's got Israel right where he wants them. Here's what Pharaoh didn't realize. Pharaoh's looking down at them and saying, I've got you right where I want you. But God is over Pharaoh saying, oh, no, no, I've got you right where I want you. And then God speaks. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. God gives one order. He says, okay, Moses, here's what I want you to tell the people to do. Here's their order. Everybody turn face the Red Sea. All right, they're facing the Red Sea. All right, here's your order. Forward march. What? Yeah, forward march. By the way, do your history. This is the first time an entire nation simply marched out from under the bondage of another nation without firing a shot, without wielding a spear, without drawing a sword. Now you think about this, you're Moses. Moses had never led an exodus in his life. Schools did not have a degree in exodusology. There was no 1-800-exodus hotline. 
There was no book written on how to do an exodus. You couldn't go to YouTube or Google and watch a tutorial on how to part a Red Sea. He didn't know what he was doing. There was only one thing he could do. Obey God when he speaks. Now, here's the lesson. When you do what is possible, you can trust God to do the impossible. When you do what is possible, you can trust God to do what is impossible. You trust God wherever he leads. You obey God whenever he speaks. But then there's this last thing. It's where I've seen so many successful people blow it. I've seen so many people make it through to the other side of the Red Sea and totally mess the whole thing up. Because you don't just trust God wherever he leads. You just don't, don't just obey God whenever he speaks. You glorify God in whatever he does. You glorify God in whatever he does. Now, watch this. The least of what God was doing and why God was doing it. Watch this. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Now, if you don't learn something about God early on in your relationship with him, let me just tell you right now. If you don't learn something about God today, you're going to be frustrated with God. You're going to be angry with God. You're going to be bitter toward God. You're going to be disappointed in God. But you better learn this. because, And I know it's a truism. But God's way is always the right way. Now listen carefully. Most of the time, it is not the easy way. All the time, it won't be the world's way. And a lot of the time, it won't be your way. But God's way is always the best way. However, he didn't make it easy for the Israelites. You say, well, you know, why didn't he? Well, I'll tell you why. Because if he had allowed the Israelites to do what only he could do, they would think they did this on their own. So if they had somehow escaped, or if they had somehow beaten back the attack, if they had somehow won a victory, they would have taken the glory. They would pat themselves on the back. They'd leave God out in the cold. But see, God always has a method to his madness. So now comes the part, now we're gonna get to the story all the kids love, and we all like, we know it's coming. It's what we've been waiting for. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on their left. So here's the story. Moses holds this rod over the sea. God parts the sea. You got these two gigantic bubbling cauldrons of water, big walls of water, and two million Israelites cross over onto dry land, but they're not out of the woods yet. Because the Egyptian army is hot on their trail. And so thankfully for Israel, thank God, the Egyptian army forgot to pack one thing. Life preservers. Forgot it. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. I mean, it's so cool. God's holding back this water, this big wall of water. And these millions of villages like go through and then God just kind of puts his hand back in his pocket 
in the Egyptian army is drowned. I still remember an Old Testament professor, Dr. Aiken, I'll tell you was you know him. He said, that really didn't happen that way. As a matter of fact, he says, in the Hebrew language, it's not the Red Sea, you know this, it's the Sea of Reeds, just a marsh. I heard about a professor in a university. He was teaching a class on Bible literature, and he told the class, they got to this story, and he said, look, let me just be honest with you. I know I don't care what you've heard in church. He said, it's not the Red Sea. It was the Sea of Reeds. It was just a marsh. It was only about six inches deep. It wasn't a sea at all. And one student raised his hand, and he said, really? He said, really? He said, man, I never knew that before. Thanks for sharing that with me. He said, man, that's one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life. And the professor said, so you like my explanation? He said, absolutely. I never knew until now that the Lord drowned the Egyptian army in six inches of water. What a miracle. So, there are a lot of liberal biblical scholars today. They still deny that's what happened. I mean, I believe it happened the way that it happened. But the truth of the matter is, even though we're not quite sure how it all physically worked, that's why it's called a miracle. But by the way, if you think about it, God worked Two miracles, not one. He worked the first one when the sea parted, when Moses held out the rod, but he also brought it back together when Moses held out his hand. So what's the point? If God, listen to me, if God leads you to a wall, it's his job to bring it down. If God leads you to a wall, it is his job to bring it down. If God leads you to a door, it is his job to open it. If God leads you to a sea, it's his job to part it. That is God's job. But there's another side of the coin. Everything that God does for us is not just for his glory. It is by his grace. Because there's another part of the story we don't talk about much. So the exodus is over. The sea has come back. And the Egyptians are looking at that seashore littered with dead Egyptian bodies everywhere. And there's one thing those Israelites knew. We don't deserve any bit of the credit. We hadn't raised a finger to do anything. We haven't killed one single man. We didn't fight one single battle. We didn't wield one single sword. We just followed God where God led us to go. We did what God told us to do and what we believe that God said he would do. Now, I could stop the, I could stop the message right there, and it would be a great lesson. It'd be a lesson I could teach to a CEO or to a CEOs of 500 companies. I mean, it would be good practical stuff. It would be a great, great talk to salespeople about, man, don't get discouraged. You know, it takes about 35 calls to make a sale. Now, I know when you come to these walls, you know, man, it will break through. But there's a greater miracle in the story that people miss, much greater than the parting of the Red Sea. So what is that? Well, God had made a prediction to Moses that I'm sure even Moses had a hard time believing. I'm, I'm amazed how preachers miss this. Here's the promise. He said, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. He said, Moses, when I'm finished, even Pharaoh and his army will confess I am the Lord. 
Do you know what the last words were of those Egyptian soldiers, the very last words they spoke before they drowned in that sea and before they died? Let me read them to you. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. For the first time, these pagan Egyptians had acknowledged the true God. They called him by his name. And then another miracle. For the first time in 400 years, the nation of Israel has finally come back to their God. Listen to this verse. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. They hadn't done that for 400 years. So, I don't know what Red Sea you're facing right now. It may be one that God led you into. By the way, you may even be in a Red Sea moment when you just fell into it because it's your own fault. It doesn't matter. When your back is against the wall, remember this. The Lord is still before you leading the way. He is still beside you making a way. He'll be behind you securing a way. But there's one last piece of the story, and I'm, I'm going to be finished. So give me one more minute. Because, again, most preachers stop right here, and it's a shame. If you believe what Jesus said, then you believe that not only is the New Testament about Jesus, you believe the Old Testament is about Jesus. I believe every book in the Bible is about Jesus. I believe every verse in the Bible, some way, somehow, points back to Jesus. So you say, okay, I don't get it. The Exodus in the Old Testament. The Exodus is in the Old Testament what the resurrection of Jesus is in the New Testament. Listen to this. The Exodus is a perfect picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I was a nine-year-old boy and I realized this. We were trapped in a dead end called sin. We were pursued by an enemy called death. It looked like there was no way out, no place to run, no place to hide. But God held up a staff in the shape of a cross with his only son hanging on it. And the sea of sin parted and God put death to death so he could lead us to a promised land where we will live with him forever and forever. And that's why we can always know by the grace of God and for the glory of God, every sea we face, God will part it. And we will safely make it to wherever he wants us to go. So Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you again for this magnificent story. What a blessing. What an encouragement. And Lord, I want to especially pray for these students who are here especially, who are in a Red Sea moment right now. For those students who are sitting there going, how did you know? What made you preach this message? I can't believe that you came for such a moment as this. God, please encourage hearts all in this building today to know Whatever Red Sea they're facing, it doesn't matter how high the water may be. It doesn't matter how strong the current may look. You will part it, and you'll bring us safely to where you want us to go. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.